Who enjoyed that video? Okay, yeah, you, absolutely. Listen, let me tell you, it's BibleProject.com, and every book of the Bible is like that, and you can go and check that out um, for yourself when you're studying God's Word. It's just, it's beautiful stuff, um, and I'm really glad it's available because we've used it before in here, and we'll use it again because it's a great tool, especially today where we're continuing the series of our chronological study, and we're walking through the narrative of Ruth today. Somebody say Ruth. All right. So we're going to talk about this girl, this young girl, that we know through the story. We know what happened. We know this big picture. But we're going to break it down a little bit. I think there's some things that we can learn from this story today that are very important. I want you to do this. I want you to close your eyes for just a second. And I want you to be gut level, really real deal honest with me. And all I'm going to ask you to do is slip your hand up to where you're waving at me. You don't have to raise your arm. You don't have to do anything else. But here's the question. The question is this. Have you ever in your life felt like you were not very important? Let me just see your hand. Okay. All right. Put that down. Have you ever felt like what you did, did or didn't really matter? Let me see your hands. Okay. Put your hands down. Open your eyes. Most of you raise your hands on both of those questions, all right? Just like I suspected. There are times in this life where we don't feel like we're very important, where we feel like, why am I here? Why we just don't understand the big picture of things and how God could use me at all. Have you ever had a stressor in your life, something that stressed you out? Let me see your hands. Okay, of course you have. Today, I don't know if you know this, but there are, some, there are some major stressors in life that when you go through these little things in life, or they're actually big things in life, they cause stress in your life. Counselors tell us that there's several things that make the top five list, the top ten list of stressors in this world. Well, if you look at the story and if you think through the image you just saw of the drawing and everything, you can really tie the knots to those stressors. And that's kind of what I feel led to do today because we've all said that we don't feel very important sometimes. We've all felt like, we'd, why, why, does what I do really matter in this world? And, and we kind of struggled with those image issues just like these ladies did at the very beginning of the story. Remember? So much to say that uh, Naomi changed her name to what? Who remembers? Mara, which means what? Bitter. Yeah. Not only do I not feel important, now I'm just sad and I'm just bitter. I'm angry. And I think this is what happens if we allow ourselves to back up sometime and see the story from the big picture. Is at the end of the story, we understand that that bitterness, she wasn't bitter anymore. She was better. And God can do that. And God can change the narrative of your story. Amen? And so that's what we want to do today. We want to understand that this short story of Ruth, a nominal average person, just like you and me, God's got big plans. Let's pray together before we begin. Father God, I just come before you right now. Lord, I know that it's the end of spring break. I know there's a storm out there. I know there's 
folks that are traveling. There's folks that are home today. God, there's people that have come here to gather to worship you. God, may we all apply this text to our life and see how you're speaking to us through this story. Unpack it for us. Let us examine it. Let us see these things that cause us stress in the world. But let us respond accordingly when they happen to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with Ruth 1, 1 through 5, and I want to read this passage. And today we're going to do that. We're going to read a lot of this story out loud. But I want you to hear the points, these stressors, these things that cause us struggle in life. In the days when judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. Taking his wife and two sons with him, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from, I'm sorry, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah. The other married a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. The first stressor in life that we see immediately in the story, can you guess what it is? It's death. Listen, we know that death can cause stress in our lives. I mean, hello, right? We've all experienced this. We've all experienced this with friends and family. And and we've seen what it can do to people. And it can literally take people off course. Some for a very long period of time. That that, um, we don't understand that death is just a part of life. That everyone takes their first breath when they're a wonderful, sweet, cute little baby. There will be a day that they take their last breath. And it's just a season in the course of life. You know, the scripture literally tells us that there's a time for everything, right? And so one of those things that we know is a, a part of life is death. I remember when I was very young and experienced that for the first time in my life that I can remember. It was one of my aunts that had passed away. And I can remember being at the funeral home and I remember the casket and, and all those things. And y'all look, just like you have struggled with those kinds of memories, so do I. And I remember even as a small boy not being able to sleep when I got home because I just didn't get it. I didn't understand. That was my Aunt Tommy. She played piano. She was a joy. She was so sweet and all of those things. And I remember getting up at night. And I didn't do this too often, but I remember going back late to to my parents' room. They were asleep. And I went over on my dad's side and I I just tapped him on the shoulder. You know, hey, dad, can you wake up for a minute? What's wrong, son? He said, I I don't understand what's going on. I'm really sad about Aunt Tommy. In the middle of the night, my dad sat up on the edge of the bed. He just held me for a minute. He just said, son, the easiest way, the only way I can really tell you about this is just to say it directly and to you is this. And I'll never forget as a dad. He just told me. He said, death is a part of life. He said, things come and they go. God gives life and he takes life. It just happens that way. And we had this wonderful little talk in the middle of the night about the reality of this. And yes, there is stressors. But I think for us, it's a good reminder 
that when those things happen in life, the way that we respond is critical. The way that we react is critical. Are we reacting and responding like people with no hope? Or are we responding and reacting like people that know what is beyond this life? Sometimes the question is not about the death that took place. It's what have we done with that life? How have we used... Remember the the story I gave a while back on the dash? You remember the dash in our own life? Like the tombstone that has two dates on it and what are you doing with your dash? Well, are you willing to share Christ Jesus with your neighbor and friends. Sadly enough to tell you to confess, there have been people in my neighborhood that have passed away that I didn't even know their names. You see the family merging on the, fam- you know, on the home or, or whatnot, and you know something has happened, and you find out through the way that someone's passed away, and you go, I didn't even know my neighbor. So I couldn't answer eternal questions about them at all because I didn't do the work to get to know people. And so sometimes we have to back up and make sure that we're encouraging those around us to know Jesus with their life, amen? And we want to do that even in these very, very hard days. And so I want to encourage you that either either you have experienced that part of life or you will. And how you respond is very important. And, And I want to tell you something that Ruth did even right here is she kept her eyes on Jesus. Now, not on Jesus, we know the story, but on the Lord for sure, okay? She kept her eyes on God, and she kept trying to do what God wanted her to do. And as we see this story unfold, we'll see that that is a theme that happens in this story. Ruth continually tries to do what God wants her to do, tries to do the loyal thing in the family, tries to be the person that God wants her to be. The second thing that I find interesting in here is something, honestly, that doesn't happen much around here, or at least it feels that way. But I'm going to read the story first. It's verses 11 through 18, and it says this. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes For I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, I would get married tonight and bear sons. Then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and and, and, uh, refuse to marry someone else? Of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than they are you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law is gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Another stressor in life according to all the counselor books in the world, is, you ready for this? Moving. Okay? Like, moving is an incredible stressor in this world that we live in. We don't talk much about it. We don't preach much about it. In this area, honestly, I I could probably count on on maybe two hands, maybe less than two hands, 
the people that I know that have moved out of this area. Because there's a lot of families that are here. There's a lot of, of great community aspects that are here. But when God calls you to go, are you going to go? You remember the old hymn? Wherever he leads, I'll go. Is that the way we see our life? Or we're like, no, we're good right here. We're good. We just put up our, we put our, our stakes in the ground and we're good and we're, we're done and we're here. Now, God may call you to that, but somebody in here, God may call. You may have a missionary heart. You may have an apostle's heart that you want to go and take new ground. And you want to do something God may be stirring in you. And I want to, I want to tell you this right now. I'm just going to say this out loud. You ready? If God calls you to go, it's okay. All right? If he does, it's okay. You follow him. You do what you're supposed to do. Naomi in the story, her one thing was, I'm going to go back to family. I'm going to go back to friends. Some people I know have come back to be a part of family and friends here. Pam and I had an opportunity one time in our life to go back to family and to be close. And it was a very nurturing and healing time for us in our journey. But I want to encourage you, wherever the Lord leads you, go. It may be something weird like God is calling you literally to, to go to another part of town. And you need, to, you need to try to figure out how to sell your home and go to another part of town or downsize or upsize. I don't know what he's going to call you, but this is just an issue. This is another thing. Realize that, that Ruth is going through the death of a, her husband and father-in-law and brother-in-law. And now she's going to go through this moving with her mother-in-law because she's loyal to her. She's going to uproot and go. And thirdly, it's the issue of finances. Now, I know that's not a stressor to any of you people, right? I know that the Crossroads folks got this one figured out, right? Finances is a huge stressor. As a matter of fact, they tell us that it's one of the number one, number two, number three type reasons, depending on the year, that couples get divorced is financial issues, okay? Listen to this in verse two, chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out in the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Listen, this financial deal is real. Let me go and get the scraps, is what she said. She literally said in a way of today's mindset, let me go and eat out of the dumpster. Okay? Let me get what they're throwing away. This is important. It's important because we see this family, this person, Naomi, leading her family, trying to do the best she can, figuring all this out with an internal turmoil. But the faithfulness of Ruth is incredible. That we see Ruth beginning to, to take her lead and do what she says. It says that, obviously, you, you saw that Boaz sees Ruth and they begin this conversation and they find out what's going on and Boaz begins his, his generosity toward them as a family. In verse 8 it says, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen my daughter, stay right here with us until you gather grain. Don't go into any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. 
See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to water. They have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. They packed up their stuff and they left. You ready? Trusting God would take care of their needs. Trusting God is a huge issue for us today. Remember, step back. This is just normal people. Just normal people trying to obey the Lord, trying to do what God wants them to do, just like you and me. These things in life are going on, they're happening, and they remain faithful, and God blesses. God takes care of their needs. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I can only imagine if those questions I asked you earlier, your answer was true, then if I said something like this, have you ever struggled to trust God? You'd probably raise your hand. Because trusting God can be hard. In Deacon's meeting, we were talking this morning. God's been talking to me a little bit about waiting on things that you want to happen and trusting God that they will. And the reality is you don't just sit around, do nothing. That waiting is an active verb. And it literally, you need to think in your mind that it's like serving, like a waiter at a restaurant, waitress at a restaurant is serving the people. And so when we wait on the Lord, we are serving God. We do that in all different ways, and even Ruth is doing that as she's serving Naomi in this passage. The question that you need to ask in your finances is pretty simple. Are you open-handed or closed-fisted? It's just that simple. At the end of the day, you're the only one that knows that answer. For God to truly do what He wants to do in our finances, we have to be open-handed, So that he can put in and take out as he wants to. And I'm looking around this room and I'll tell you that God's blessed us financially. He has. Thinking about this rain that's coming right down. I don't think any of you slept out in the rain last night. Right? All those needs in your life are taken care of. And I want to encourage you to live open-handed instead of close-fisted. Because when we're close-fisted, yeah, you grab the stuff that you earned, got, whatever... But the reality is God can't do much with closed-fisted. But man, he can do a lot with open-handed. Then finally, not finally, but number four, is the issue of family. In verses 10 through 13, chapter 3, The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who's more closely related than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So the stressors we've mentioned, death, moving, finances, I know, again, that none of you family is a stressor. I get that. Family is just great. It's just a cakewalk. It's always easy, right? Look, we know family can get messy, okay? We know it can. And if you and I were sitting having a coffee or a hamburger, you could probably tell me stories. I could tell you stories, okay? Everybody's got an Uncle Bob. That'd be me, okay? I got one, but I am one, right? 
My, my nephews, they got this joke this year. They love to call me Uncle Bobby. See? And I don't know if you can slap your nephews around, but maybe I do. Right? So here's the thing. We've all got family, and the reality is wherever you are, you know, Pam and I, we're just in this new world. We are. It's just family. It's, it's adult children and then parents who are aging. It's just this weird thing, and we're trying to navigate each step and do the best thing that we're supposed to do to follow God and just be obedient to Him in the hard days. These are stressors. These are normal things in life. And I hope you understand this story today. Maybe there's not some huge, you know, this, this big kairos moment in your life. But maybe the simple idea that God can even use you is a kairos moment in itself. So we have these things. We have the, the, the death issue. We have the moving issue. We have finances. We have family. And there's one more thing that we need to talk about this morning. And that is the future. Now I am going to ask you to raise your hand on this one. Has, everybody, has anybody in this room ever been concerned, let I even dare say the word worry, about the future? Okay. We're all on the same page. Okay? Here's the deal. That's normal. It's, it's understandable. However, let me encourage you gently. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus on God. The Bible says, literally Paul says, fix your eyes. When you fix something, it's not moving. Like if you could screw the metal thing on your head to where it would only be focused at Jesus, wouldn't that be just great? Because distractions and life and everything else try to pull it off. This worry about the future is one of the greatest things that hinders our steps day to day. Look at the scripture. This is... Right here at the end of the story. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. Then the women of town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for your, you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who, lives, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, Now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This is huge. We know what David did in Israel. We know he was a great king. We know he did amazing things. We understand how, how great this redemption point for an average nominal family was that God redeemed them to be a part of the lineage of David. Is that the end of the story? No way. <laughs> Not in God's margin. God's got bigger plans than you can ever dream because you know what happens in Matthew 1. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Who's Rahab? Mm-hmm. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered King David. And there are many listed that goes to this statement here. 
in verse 16. And Jacob fathered, fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. Don't ever say you're not worthy. Don't ever say you're not important. Don't ever say you're not big deal to God. You can be a part of God's story. Submit yourself to him. Follow Jesus. Obey the Lord with your life. And let him write his story through your life. Let's pray together. God, what an amazing story for us to realize that through a simple girl with a crazy life just like ours, you weave the story of redemption and grace and even salvation. Let us remember that what we consider small, you consider big. Let us remember that what we consider insignificant, you call life-changing. Let us remember this week when we're in a divine conversation with someone that needs this message to shine the light of Jesus. We love you so much and we thank you for this story of Ruth, this reminder in our everyday life. In Jesus' name.